يا ريت والله ما فيها لا عادي إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد So we said people of Quraysh started using different tactics against the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم um, especially after the Muslims became stronger uh, when uh, Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib became Muslim, uh, Umar bin Khattab became Muslim. So the stronger ones are becoming Muslim and this was something uh, completely unexpected by the people of Mecca. So it said they changed tactics. So they started using different uh, tactics, strategies with the Prophet sometimes offering him some uh, or making some offers to the Prophet ﷺ, trying to get him to compromise on certain aspects of his da'wah, uh, sometimes exerting pressure on him through his uncle, Abu Talib, and so on and so forth. And when these things didn't work, they inflicted more pain on his companions. So they tried to make it hard for the Prophet ﷺ through persecuting his companions, because they had access to them. And uh, to a point where Abu Bakr, we said, Abu Bakr anhu <coughs> set out in, uh, in a journey to to Abyssinia himself. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, we said last week, if you remember, that he was on his way to Abyssinia. When he was halfway through, someone gave him protection. He said, no, you go back to Mecca. Someone like you should not be left to leave their town. Someone that's respected, someone with such mannerism and character and status like you, you should be protected, preserved and respected. So he made an effort anyway. Uh, we said the Prophet ﷺ kept giving da'wah and giving da'wah and giving da'wah and we stopped by one incident we said where the Prophet ﷺ was speaking to the leaders of Mecca speaking to people like Umayyah ibn Khalaf, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayyid, Abu Jahl um, and, and others uh, the Prophet ﷺ every time he spoke to them he spoke you know wholeheartedly he spoke from his heart despite all the rejection the Prophet ﷺ did not take the past as his uh, expectation that is going to repeat itself every time he spoke with them he had he was optimistic he had high hopes these people would change their minds or someone at least among them would change their mind so the prophet kept speaking to them in a, a positive spirit despite their rejection so one day the prophet was speaking to these leaders of mecca and they seemed to be a little bit responsive more responsive than usual so the prophet got more engaged in this conversation as he was speaking with them and here is when one of the companions comes to him, or he was probably an early companion, Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum. Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum was one of the weaker companions, blind, poor, considered in Mecca to be insignificant, not really an important figure. So he came to the Prophet at that moment and he was blind, he didn't realize what was going on. He heard the voice of the Prophet so he approached him and he asked the Prophet to teach him something, teach me something, tell me more about Allah, teach me something about the Qur'an. And the Prophet was speaking, was already engaged in a conversation. And Ibn Umi Maktoum did not figure out that he was interjecting in a, in, a, in, a, in a conversation that was already taking place. So it seems the Prophet at that time, he didn't like this. So he frowned in the face of Ibn Umi Maktoum, who was a blind person, he couldn't see. The Prophet expressed his emotions in a way that some frustration, there was some frustration that I'm trying to get these people to really hear the message and they seem to be responsive and here you come, Abdullah ibn Maktoum, asking me for something, it's just like in, in our language, it's not your time man, just leave me alone now, something like this. Uh, so despite this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afterward reveals the Surah Abasa. Abasa the literal translation of it is he frowned the Prophet frowned at, at uh, Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum because out of frustration and out of trying to because his mind was fully focused with the leaders of Quraysh uh, and it was it's such a like this is a common human experience you're engaged in a conversation someone interjects you're going to show this kind of frustration yet the Prophet 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala held him to such a high standard of morality, of behavior, and it was a lesson as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to the Prophet sallallahu says, wa because the Prophet frowned at him and he sort of turned away from him and he kept his conversation with these people. So he slightly ignored him for that, at that specific point. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Abasa wa tawalla. He frowned and he turned away. He turned away. He gave him his shoulder. And the blind person came to him. And how could you tell? Maybe this is the one who's going to benefit and purify himself and benefit from what you say. Oh, he benefits from your reminder. Those who are arrogant and they feel they, are, they stand in no need of your message and your instructions. You turn to these people. You pay more attention to these people. And it's not an obligation upon you to guide these people and get them to accept the message and purify themselves. Again, back speaking about Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum. But the one who's coming to you eagerly seeking to learn, and he fears Allah. You sort of keep yourself busy away from him in that moment. Allah says, No. This is a reminder. To the one who's willing to accept it and be reminded by it. It is, it comes from sacred uh, pages or sacred uh, uh, scriptures صحف المكرمة مرفوعة مطهرة because the Quran this, the Quran is a tathkira it's a reminder and it comes from the preserved tablet comes from the preserved tablet في صحف المكرمة مرفوعة مطهرة it's elevated and high and purified بأيدي سفرة in the hands of angels who are holding these كرام بررة honorable noble and righteous uh, angels, righteous creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a reminder to the Prophet that you pay attention more to the people who are willing to listen to the message. Yes, you approach the leaders, but that doesn't mean they have more right to hear the truth than an insignificant person in Mecca who's blind, who's sort of helpless. He has an equal right to hear the message. And this also goes in line with what we have in Surah Al-A'la. So remind where the reminder is likely to benefit. This is why the scholars took from this specific verse a ruling. They said, uh, you remind when it's likely, when the reminder is likely to be accepted. When you expect the person would be responsive. But if you know for sure that someone is, will, will reject that message, you just advise them once and you don't keep advising them. That's in terms of obligation. If you still have some hope that hopefully they would listen, you keep going. But if you know someone is not going to listen, you know for sure, you don't have to remind them more than once. So remind where the reminder is going to, is likely to benefit. So this is some kind of a reprimand from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet sallallahu One of the companions, and I think it was Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, لَوْ كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى كَاتِمًا شَيْئًا مِنَ الْقُرْآنَ لَكَتَمَ هَذِهِ Jazakallah khair. If the Prophet were to hide anything from the revelation from the Quran, it would be this verse. Yeah, the Prophet, although this basically this is a direct reprimand to him, the Prophet still uh, conveyed it to the people. Why? Because he's just a messenger. He's just a messenger. And there's, a, there's great lessons here to learn from this surah as well. To learn from the surah. And one of the beautiful benefits that we can learn here that the Prophet was given the ability to make ijtihad. So in a certain situation, the Prophet ﷺ, if he had no revelation, he was asked a question uh, about what to do with regards to this, what's halal, what's haram here. If he didn't have a revelation, specific revelation from Allah about this, the Prophet ﷺ would make his own ishtihad, his own reasoning, and he would give an answer. If the answer was correct, it would stay as it is. Allah would not like uh, abrogate it or cancel it. Allah would keep it as it is. If there was something wrong in the... In the conclusion of the Prophet ﷺ, Allah would correct it. Allah would correct it and I would change it. Just like this incident, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet ﷺ, in his personal judgment in that situation, on this spot, was let me focus with these people. That was his reasoning. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ta clarified that this is not the right stance to take. 
you convey the message to whoever is seems to be seeking it these people have more rights to it and like as we will come inshallah when we come to talk about surat or the battle of Badr, what to do with the captives the prophet he sought counsel uh, and advice from his companions and he then took the advice of abu bakr radiallahu anhu that we uh, we 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 uh, sorry we save these or we uh, we keep these captives and we they can free themselves by means of ransom either the family ransoms them or they teach the children of the muslim how to read and write or they, they do some social work okay for the muslims for the muslim population and then they, we can set them free umar al-khattab had a different opinion it was to just annihilate them kill them slay them that was his opinion the Prophet ﷺ took the opinion of Abu Bakr, this was his ishtihad, and he took it, the Prophet ﷺ took it. But Allah SWT revealed in Surah Al-Anfal, for example, مَا كَانَ لِنَبِيٍّ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُ أَسْرَى حَتَّى يَثْخِنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ It wasn't for a Prophet to have captives until he obviously gets so much power in the land. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala said that, or made it clear that this ishtihad wasn't correct. So this is a point of fiqh here as well, that we understand how Sometimes the ishtihad, this is called the ishtihad of the Prophet There's been a few PhD dissertations on the moments of ishtihad by the Prophet There were moments of ishtihad by the Prophet <coughs> So again, and this, uh, this shows the, as, as well that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught the Prophet to hold on to this humility, sense of humility and this kind of tawadu' that we, the this beautiful khuluq, this beautiful trait of having this humility and not, you know, avoiding pride and arrogance. This is why the Prophet ﷺ, he used to make a dua. He said, Allahumma ahyini miskinan wa amitni miskinan wa hshurni fi zumratil masakin. Allah, let me live as a miskin, as a simple person. And make me die as a simple person, miskin. And when you resurrect me on the day of judgment, let me be among those, the, the normal people, the simple people. And the Prophet ﷺ says as well, "Aakulu kama yaakulu yaakulu al-abd, wa ajlisu kama yajlisu al-abd, fa inna ma ana abd." Okay, here's a uh, a benefit, just linguistic benefit for those who speak Arabic. Uh, the language of Quraysh, the language because the Arabs had dialects. All of them were fusha. All of them were fusha. Uh, still, they had dialects. Just like in English, you have different dialects. All of them are valid. So. Uh, the language of Quraysh was what we call Tashilul Hamz for those who know Arabic. For for at their time they didn't say for example Ya'kul, they said Ya'kul. Ya'kul, not Ya'kul. They didn't say Mu'minun, they said Mu'minun. That's the language of Quraysh. That's the language of Quraysh. So Al Hamza would be softened or flattened out. So Mu'minun, Ya'kul, not Ya'kul. Ya'ti, Ya'ti. This is how they spoke. So some of the Qur'at that match this are actually specifically would be uh, Warsh. Warsh has this tasheel more often. So the Prophet ﷺ used to say, I eat just like a servant or a slave eats. A servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I sit like a abd or a slave sits. I'm just a slave. Just the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this shows that this became an attitude of the Prophet It's always been an attitude, which is this humility and to be humble, humble oneself down to people, especially those who seek the uh, truth. Uh, people of Quraysh, we said they sought different tactics with the Prophet and there were experiences where the Prophet exchanged words with them. They had conversations. They had, had some sort of debates with them. Uh, one day, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, one of the main leaders of Quraysh, Al-Walid al-Mughira, who is the father of Khalid bin Al-Walid. The father of Khalid bin Al-Walid. Al-Walid al-Mughira, one of the main leaders in Mecca, the big like names in Mecca. One day, he sat with the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ recited Quran to him. The Prophet ﷺ recited Quran. So the narration goes, فَكَأَنَّهُ رَقَّلَهُ So the Quran captivated him. Mesmerized him. The words of the Quran. And these are very eloquent people in terms of language. Abu Jahl heard about that. He said he heard that Walid al-Mughira sat with Muhammad and it seemed the Quran appealed to him. He liked it. 
Now Abu Jahl, we said previously many times, Abu Jahl is is like the number one, like he's he's as a master in provoking others. And we're going to see that this is going to cause his death, actually. This trait that he has will bring about his demise. Abu Jahl is, is very skillful at like getting people angry and uh, provoking them. He's that kind of person. So he goes to Al-Walid al-Mughira, who was an elder to him. Walid al-Mughira is still an elder to Abu Jahl. So فَأَتَاهُ فَقَالْ يَا عَمْ He says, oh uncle, my uncle. He says to Al-Walid al-Mughira, uncle, because he's an elder. إِنَّ قَوْمَكَ يَرَوْنَ أَنْ يَجْمَعُوا لَكَ مَالًا I want you to see what kind of character Abu Jahl is. He's not someone who's so like uh, simple-minded, uh, naive kind of person. He's very intelligent in how he approaches people. He wants to provoke Al-Walid al-Mughira in a subtle way, indirect way, so he cannot back up. So he comes to him and he says, Oh, my, oh uncle, your people, people of Quraysh of Mecca, they're actually thinking of making a collection. They're planning to raise funds for you. Now this is an insult, because Wid al-Mughira is very rich and a leader. You want to raise funds for me? Like you want to give me sadaqah? <laughs> That's, it's like this is an, a, a slight to his honor. This is an insult. So, but this is Abu Jahl, he knows how to speak. So your people, they're actually thinking of raising funds for you and making a collection for you and give, to give it to you. So Wid al-Mughira says, Walima, why is this? So Abu Jahl says to him, لِيُعْطُوكَهُ So they want to give the money to you. Again, very condescending, very disrespectful. They want to give it to you. فَإِنَّكَ أَتَيْتَ مُحَمَّدًا لِتَعْرِضَ عَلَيْهِمَا أو لِتَسْمَعَ مِنْهُ Because they heard you went to Muhammad and you sort of were okay with what he narrated to you, with what he recited to you. So Al-Walid now, he took it personal. He took it personal now. The, uh, he became defensive. So he said, قَدْ عَلِمَتْ قُرَيْشُ أَنِّي مِنْ أَكْثَرِهَا مَالًا He says, Quraysh knows that I'm the richest among them. I'm the richest among the people of Quraysh. You guys want to collect money for me? So he took it personal now. That, so basically, he swallowed the bait. <laughs> it worked. So Abu Jahl is ready with his answer. He says, فَقُلْ فِيهِ قَوْلًا So say something against Muhammad. Say something against Muhammad. So your people know that you disagree with Muhammad. So he got to his point. Listen to the response of Al-Walid. He says, What should I say? None of, he says, what should I say? Like, none of you knows poetry, the poetry of the Arabs like I do. None of you knows, you know, all types of writing and literature like I do. None of you even knows the poetry of the jinn like I do. The words of Muhammad, they don't look similar to any of these things. It's different. It's something different. He says, for his words, there is sweetness in his words. وَإِنَّ عَلَيْهِ لَطَلَاوَةً There is so much beauty, external beauty to what he says. وَإِنَّهُ لَمُثْمِرٌ أَعْلَاهُ And it's very fruitful. His words are very fruitful. مُغْدِقٌ أَسْفَلُهُ Very rich and deep inside. وَإِنَّهُ لَيَعْلُوا وَمَا يُعْلَى And it has the upper hand. It has so much power within it that it overcomes any, anything else. وَإِنَّهُ لَيُحَطِّمُ مَا تَحْتَهُ And it can destroy everything else. Abu Jahl obviously is not going to like this. What does he say? He says, your people will not, will, be, will not be happy with this. Until you say something against Muhammad. He puts him on the spot. So he said, let me think. So when he thought, he wanted to come up with something. He wanted to make up something. So he said, the only thing I can say about Muhammad to put him down is that, he said, He said, this is magic that he learns from someone else. After all this recognition of the beauty of the Qur'an and its uniqueness, 
He has to come up with a lie. Why? Because these people are immersed and stuck in their arrogance and in their false patriotism to Quraysh and the old ways of Quraysh. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed about him in Surah Al-Muddathir. فَذَرْنِي وَمَنْ خَلَقْتُ وَحِيدًا Leave me with the one, the person that I created single. Everyone, when they're born, when they're created, they're created single. Allah created them singularly. وَجَعَلْتُ لَهُ مَالًا مَمْدُودًا I give him so much money. وَبَنِينَ شُهُودًا And a lot of children, progeny. وَمَحَدْتُ لَهُ تَمْهِيدًا Made life easy for him. Facilitated everything for him. ثُمَّ يَطْمَعُ أَنْ أَزِيدٍ And he also wants more. كَلَّا Allah says no, he was stubborn and he was uh, like he disbelieved in our science. I shall like make him go through extreme and hard punishment. Because he thought and he tried to figure out. May he be destroyed because of what he thought about. ثُمَّ قُتِلَ كَيْفَ قَدَّرَ And shall he be destroyed again for that kind of thought that he entertained. ثُمَّ نَظَرَ Then he thought even more. ثُمَّ عَبَسَ وَبَسَرَ Then he frowned and then he spoke. ثُمَّ أَدْبَرَ وَاسْتَكْبَرَ Then he turned away with arrogance. فَقَالَ إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا سِحْرٌ يُؤْثَرَ He said, it is only magic that has been learned from someone else. إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا قَوْلُ الْبَشَرِ These are the words of a human being. Now after all of this, he, that's what he says. It's magic and it is human words. Then Allah says, I shall make him taste saqar, which is one of the names of the hellfire. So again, these are encounters the Prophet ﷺ had. People of Quraysh tried something else. They said, okay, let's make it hard for Muhammad. If you're a prophet, prophets come with miracles. Show us a miracle. Show us some kind of miracle. So the Prophet ﷺ, as Anas ibn Malik narrates, asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a miracle. One night, it was a full moon, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people of Quraysh come to the Prophet they ask him, where is the miracle? We've asked you for a miracle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes the moon to split into two halves. And they split, each one went to the other side. So one of them was on this side, one of them was on the other side. So when they saw the moon split, they said, Muhammad, Saharana Muhammadun, or Saharana ibn Abi Kabsha. They used to uh, like have a derogatory name of the Prophet ﷺ, Ibn Abi Kabsha. Abu Kabsha is basically the husband of Halima Sa'diya. Halima Sa'diya. Uh, they had a, a derogatory nickname of him, and it was basically Abu Kabsha, the father of the she goat. The father of the she goat. It was a negative, condescending kind of title that they gave to him. So they used to speak about Muhammad, he's the son of that person. That's who he is. Uh, so they said this is magic. Muhammad has some magic spell. He threw some magic spell on our eyes. And this is why it seems to us it's a delusion. Or it's an illusion. It's not a real thing. So we just, he made us, this magic just made us see the moon splitting. But it wasn't split. So they said, let's wait for people who will arrive in Mecca a few days from now because the magic would not affect them. So they actually waited for a few days until people came, like some travelers came into Mecca, and they asked them, have you seen anything different, anything special about the moon? They said, yes, like two days ago, three days ago, the moon split. So this was a clear sign for these people after they asked the, uh, the Prophet wasallam, and yet they still disbelieved. And they had, and this shows as well that usually people, a lot of the people who ask for miracles, people, a lot of people who ask for proof, prove to me that Allah is that Allah exists. Just in in, in that in, in that type of question, prove to me Allah exists, because they want a proof that Allah exists, just as a proof like any other created object exists. But that's a problem with the question itself, because the existence of everything is different. The existence of a creation is different than the existence of a creator. You don't prove the existence of the creator with the same way you prove the existence of the creation. It just the question is wrong in itself. And when you say prove to me that God exists, you're basically you're creating a limitation. You're saying the only way something could exist if I can figure it out in at least one of my five senses. 
but that limits what existence actually means so there's uh, th there's a lot of problems with this kind of question but the point is uh, when people ask such a question you know oftentimes such people are not sincere there are sincere people who are searching for answers but oftentimes people ask such questions just out of arrogance and more as a, more of a it's a bluff more than anything it's a cover up they have another reason but it's very convenient to say prove this to me or i just i don't believe in this it just doesn't make sense to me it's a very convenient answer so some of the narrations indicate that these a lot of people they said we saw the mountain between the two uh, uh two parts of of the of the moon being split the two halves so like the two halves got really further and further from from each other still this didn't make these people believe and this is where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in surat al-qamar surat al-qamar was about this the hour has drawn near it's very close when al-qamar and the moon has split and the moon has split and they see a clear sign they turn away from it they reject it and they say oh this is magic this is some magic spell they're just lying and they're following their desires everything is gonna like every thing in this world is gonna reach a point of balance everything is gonna take its full course so don't hasten so this was, uh, and in Surah Al-Qamar, by the way, you will find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning this incident, he talks about the different prophets and how they were rejected by their people, they disbelieved in them, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, basically made the prophets uh, the victorious ones at the end, at the end of the day. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses at the end of the surah, I think that's an important part, addresses the people of Quraysh and he says do you think your kuffar or people of Quraysh are better than the previous kuffar or do you have some kind of protection that Allah has given you do you have a warranty from Allah or a guarantee that you are protected from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa or they say we will make a gathering and we will be victorious so Allah says your gathering will be defeated and they will run away. This is a prediction of Ma'rakat Badr, of the Battle of Badr. And this was still, this was still in Mecca. We're still in Mecca. The hour, the hereafter, is the appointment that we have made for them. And this is the most difficult, that's the most bitter thing they will ever taste. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the, those who disbelieve will be in, in, in pain and the hellfire. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna kulla shay'in khalaqnahu biqadar. Everything we have created it according to a precise measure. That means, you know, this is a profound, really profound verse. And somehow we can live just by this verse. If you live in the light of this verse, it gives you so much power and so much peace in your heart. Inna kulla shay'in khalaqnahu biqadar. Everything in existence, everything in this creation is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah created it. And behind the creation is always knowledge and might, power. Behind every creation and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So everything, Allah says, everything I created it according to a precise measure. This includes objects and events. Events are created as well, not only objects. You can't say just the creation is the sun and the moon. Okay, all the trees. Each one of these is created according to a measure. No, every encounter you have, every situation you go through in, in your life is a creation as well. And it's been designed according to a precise measure in its minute details. So there's no mistakes in this world. Really, there's no mistakes. Nothing goes wrong in this world. Everything goes according to plan, according to the way Allah created it and according to the wisdom that Allah wants to bring out of it. Everything is just going to follow that plan. Nothing will get, nothing will break from that pattern. Allah says everything we've created it according to a precise measure. So that gives you so much peace in your heart because you know everything is under control. Everything is happening as Allah wants it to be. Even though it's painful, even though it's unfortunate, 
even though it's a dilemma we we don't know what to do with it how to deal with it it might be so bleak and 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 uh, like negative and counterproductive to us yet allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it and for a goodly reason so like rest assured that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge don't worry nothing goes wrong in this world with all the pain, all the crimes, all the evil that's going on, there is a greater purpose that is happening behind the, behind all of this. And some people say, why doesn't Allah make everything just beautiful, nice and dandy and just, just perfect? These people don't realize because they have such a small vision and they want the Creator to follow that vision. There are wisdoms, there are benefits, there are great things, there are treasures that cannot be achieved without following this kind of pattern. So we know that you go through hardship, you grow out of it. And you grow stronger. When in the first place you didn't like it. You don't like it. I, I received a question. Just This is a digression but I think it's a bit relevant. So recently I received a question. And there's no identity revealed here. But I would think there is a lot of questions like this. There's this young brother who uh, sends me uh, an email. And he says, I'm 18 years old. He introduces himself. And he says, I need your help because I've fallen in love with this girl. I've fallen in love with this girl. And, but he says the thing is she doesn't know she's clueless and it's love from one side so I don't know if she would love me back or not and he said that's not the only problem she lives in a different part of the world <laughs> and I, I was getting puzzled at this stage and he says so basically I saw her online and she's a very decent practicing sister and okay I said, that's very interesting then I want to see where he wants my help like how can I help there so then he goes and he says I'm so anxious I'm like having so much fear within me I'm not ready to marry her now I'm just 18 and uh, I don't think I will ever marry any other person if she rejects me I don't think I'll ever get married in my life it's too early to make such a decision by the way it's like I don't think if she rejects me that I'll be able able to live I think I'll just die if she says no now I'm really more puzzled, <laughs> what's my contribution going to be there? Then he says, I want from you a dua from the Prophet that makes her love me back. <laughs> so how can I give that back? So I really thought, at some stage part of me said, just dismiss it, you know, be dismissive, tell him, you know, grow up, things like that. But I realized this is a genuine question. He sees the world from this 18 years old lens and uh, I should respect that. I really should respect that. And the fact that he has really the, I would say, the courage to reveal his identity and speak like that, I really appreciate this because it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. A lot of people hide their emotions and they suppress their emotions and it just gets, they get into more trouble, by the way. Because you have to deal with your emotions. You have, if there's something wrong, you have to fix. Your emotions are not wrong, but they, they are an indicator. They tell you something where you went wrong, probably in your thoughts or in your desires. So you, when you have issue, an issue with your emotions, it's an indication that, oh, there's something I need to fix. So he was brave enough to share that. So I was thinking, it took me a couple of days to really to figure out a way to get back to him in a respectful way. And I thought the best way is actually to use this kind of logic. Everything Allah created, Allah created it according to a precise measure, including what happens to you and what's going to happen to you. Don't worry. So what I thought to this brother, he said, I, I just picked on the part where he said, I don't think I'll be able to live or I can ever live uh, if she rejects me or can ever marry afterwards so I thought that's a good key that's a good start for me and I just told him I started I said listen my young brother I think you're much stronger than you think and my anticipation probably Allah will help you see that for yourself <laughs> Allah probably is gonna it could could work out maybe it won't work, work out if it doesn't work out then Allah wants to show you that you are stronger than what you think so that was for me a very good start to uh, like really give him an answer that I think would help him as well think rather than just be uh, dismissive in my approach. So then I said I really don't have a dua that can really help you in that sense but uh, you know if, if you're not willing to deal with rejection you're going to suffer a lot in your life. 
Because in life you're going to face a lot of rejection. And if how you feel about yourself and how you deal with life is based on other people's opinion of you, man, you're so vulnerable. You're so weak. I didn't, I didn't use these words with him, but I just used that kind of logic. I said, life, you know, you're going to be rejected so many times in your life. And if you're going to take it, every time you're going to take it personally, you're going to take yourself seriously, man, you, 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 you'll have a hard time in this life. I told him, get ready to be rejected, but that should not make you feel bad about yourself because it doesn't necessarily tell you anything bad about who you are or what you are. So move on in life and try to see your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where that is going to lead you and so on and so forth. But the point is, this is a very powerful statement from the Quran, إِنَّا كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلَقْنَاهُ بِقَدَرٍ And that's a reminder for the Prophet ﷺ that what happens, what is happening to you is not haphazard. It's been planned. It's been planned and Allah knows about it. And it's happening for a good reason. It only goes wrong, or it goes wrong only to go right. Everything is just going to take the right course, so don't worry about it. Anyway, another beautiful incident that really happened, and it's, it is quite shocking. Uh, one day, uh, we have Al, al, uh, we have al Mughira ibn Shu'bah. He's from Al-Ta'if. Mughira ibn Shu'bah from Al-Ta'if. Later on, he becomes a Muslim. Al Mughira ibn Shu'bah, one of the famous Muslims. At that time, still, he was non Muslim. He was very close friends to Abu, with Abu Jahl. Very close friend with Abu Jahl. So he says, he is narrating a story later on, that's years later. He says, He says, the first day I saw the Messenger or I got, I got to know the Messenger That one day I was walking with Abu Jahl in one of the streets of Mecca. إِذْ لَقِيَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه So the Prophet was walking towards us so he started speaking to Abu Jahl. He says, Ya Abu Hakam. He's speaking to Abu Jahl. The Prophet is addressing Abu Jahl. He says, Ya Abu Hakam. That's a way, a respectful way to speak with him using his nickname, Abu Hakam. Ya Abu Hakam. Halumma ila Come to Allah. Oh Abu Jahl, come to Allah. After all this enmity, still the Prophet meets him in the street. He says, Abu Hakam. Come, come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa ila Rasuli and to his messenger. Ad'uka ila Allah. I'm calling you to Allah. Imagine like the spirit of the Prophet ﷺ is unbelievable. After all this negativity, all this persecution, all of these challenges, all of these, these insults and so on and so forth, yet he sees Abu Jahl, it's as if he's seeing him for the first time in his life. And he's offering him advice so fresh and so optimistic. Come over to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm calling you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Jahl, listen to the response of Abu Jahl. He says, Ya Muhammad, Hal anta muntahin an sabbi alihatina? He says, Muhammad, aren't you going to stop speaking bad about our gods? Then he says, هل تريد إلا أن نشهد أن قد بلغت? Again, Abu Jahl, remember, he's a very good, like, uh, provoking people. So he says to the Prophet when are you going to stop speaking bad about our gods? Uh, I think all you want is that we testify that you conveyed the message. I testify you conveyed the message. That's it. See the disrespectful way of speaking to the Prophet. So he says, You want us to testify that you've conveyed the message? We testify. I testify you conveyed the message. That means just leave us alone. Then he says, He says to the Prophet, even if I know. That what you are narrating or what you are calling to is the true, I won't follow you. Even if I know it's true, I'm not going to follow you. So basically, lose all hope. So the Prophet ﷺ, upon hearing this, he leaves them and he walks away. Then Abu Jahl says to his friend, Al Mughira ibn Shu'aba, he says, فَوَاللَّهِ إِنِّي لَأَعْلَمُ أَنَّ مَا يَقُولُ حَقَّ He says to Al Mughira, he says, Wallahi, I know what he says is the truth. I know. I know it's the truth. لكن بني قصي. But these are the children of Qusay. You know, Qusay is one of the forefathers of the Prophet ﷺ. And Qusay basically, uh, there was a fight between Qusay and his brothers. So Qusay took over Mecca and he pushed his brothers to the sides, outskirts of Mecca. So you have Quraysh 
they say Quraysh al-Hadr, two types of Quraysh. Quraysh al-Hadr, the children of Qusay, the ones who lived in the city of Mecca. Quraysh al-Hadr wa Quraysh al-Bawadi. Quraysh al-Bawadi, the ones who lived around Mecca. These are the ones, the nomads among Quraysh. These are their cousins. So Abu Jahl still, they have this enmity still amongst them. So Abu Jahl says, Banu Qusay, these are the children of Qusay who took over Mecca, stayed in, in the middle of Mecca. They said, قالوا, They said, we are in charge of the house, taking care of the house and clothing it. We said, okay. Uh, they said, we have Darul Nadwa, which is like the parliament, the consultation center, where everyone, where the issues get decided, decisions get made. They said, it's with us. We said, okay, you take it. They said, They said, and we have the flag of war. We have the military leadership. We are Ministry of Defense. We said, okay, you take it. They said, we also provide water to the pilgrims. We are in charge of this. We said, yes. So then, we used to feed people and they used to feed people. So, we were equal with feeding people, but they took over all the other like privileges in Mecca. Then he said, So basically he says, we are in a race. When we got close to each other, we caught up with them. We were almost on the verge of taking over. Now when we were almost, you know, taking over, they say, there's a prophet among us. He says, Wallahi la afal. And he says, I will never follow him. <laughs> So you see why Abu Jahl refused to follow? He knows the Prophet ﷺ was upon the truth. He knows the Prophet ﷺ had the truth. He was calling people to the truth. But the way he refused it was what? It's this kind of prejudice. It's this kind of racism against the family of the Prophet ﷺ. This is Hadith Hassan reported by Al-Bayhaqi. And it's Hassan. It's acceptable. Uh, so again, but probably this led Walid ibn Mughira later on maybe to become a Muslim because he saw that the Prophet was upon the truth. These people were just rejecting the truth for the sake of their pride and their arrogance. They tried to, all of these things didn't work with the Prophet He was still persistent, calling people to Islam, approaching people, approaching, you know, convoys who come for pilgrim, uh, pil uh, pilgrims, uh, caravans, business caravans, approaching everyone. So they wanted to, make up a new lie about the Prophet that probably could push people away from him. A lot of these tactics actually worked because a lot of the people, uh, the Arabs from the Arabian Peninsula who were impressed with the Prophet when they heard, saw this opposition from the people of Mecca, they said these are his people and they know him the most. So we shouldn't really give him any kind of attention. And then they thought, okay, they said, let's try something else. So there was a man from Azd Shanu'a, from one of the Arab tribes, from Azd Shanu'a. His name is Dimad. Dimad was a Ruqya person. He was a Raqi. He was a Ruqya. The Arabs had people who did Ruqya. But the Ruqya they did, a lot of it was with jinn. But he was, they called him Al-Hakim. Okay? Hakim at the time meant the doctor. Doctor. So he used to do herbal medicine other types of medicine, and what they called ruqya, exorcism, regardless what, the way, uh, what was the way they did it. So they said, وَكَانَ ضِمَادْ يَرْقِي مِنْ هَذِهِ الْرِيَاحِ So, ضِمَادْ uh, used to help people who were possessed by jinn, who had black magic and such symptoms. So, they told him about Muhammad Sallallahu They said, Muhammad is coming up with some strange speech and he claims to be a prophet, he must be a mad person. Why don't you help him out? That's a way as well to tarnish the reputation of the Prophet ﷺ indirectly. Indirectly. It's just like someone, instead of saying, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, they did this and they did that, they would say, have you heard, let's say someone's called Abdullah, you know, instead of saying Abdullah did this, did that, because you will be held responsible for making an accusation, right? They would say, oh, did you hear what happened with Abdullah? I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And, you know, the Arabs would say, Ma bdimti, eh? I'm not going to take responsibility for this. <laughs> I'm not going to take responsibility for this, but people are saying, it's not me, 
People are saying that he did this and he did that. I'm not sure. Maybe you want to find out for yourself. You tarnish someone's reputation. So they used this tactic. They said, they told him, oh, Muhammad is having this. Maybe he has some gym possession. Maybe you want to help him out. This man was good. Dinad was a good person. So he says, I will go. He travels and he comes to the Prophet ﷺ. He says, I'm going to go to this man, Muhammad Hopefully Allah will heal him through me, give him a cure through me. So he says, So I met Muhammad. I found him. I said to him that I heal people from evil spirits. And Allah helps me give people cure. And that shows still some of the Arabs had the remains of Tawheed. فهلم, so come to me and I will help you. I'll help you out. For the Prophet said, قال Rasulullah that's it. That's what the Prophet said. Why? He realized he's speaking to a man who knows Tawheed already. The man didn't say, I heal. He says, Allah treats people through me. The Prophet realized this man has some traces of Tawheed, of the religion of Ibrahim and Ismail. So the Prophet spoke to him in clear language what is the essence of Islam? That we depend on Allah, we praise Allah, we depend upon Him, we seek His help, we seek His aid. Allah gives guidance. And I testify none has the right to be worshipped but Allah. These words are profound. They resonated with Dhimad straight away. So Dhimad says, Wallahi laqad sami'tu qawla al-kahana wa qawla al-sahara wa qawla al-shu'ara fama sami'tu mithla haa al-kalimat. Dhimad says, he has a lot of experience. He says, I've dealt with sorcerers and uh, uh, witches and uh, uh, people who deal with magic and, and magicians. And I've dealt with poets, but I've never heard anything like this. Then he says to the Prophet ﷺ, give me your hand, I'll give you my bay'ah to follow you. Straight away, Islam. Give me your hand, I'm going to give you the bay'ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become Muslim. What are you? These are not, this doesn't match the accusations I was told about you. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, and to convey the message to your people. So your agreement not only is not only to become Muslim, but to convey the message to your people. So he said, وَعَلَىٰ قَوْمِي And to my people. And the mad went back and he got some, some of his people actually to become Muslims. To become Muslims. So this is reported by Muslim. Zahir Muslim. So now the, this sort of doctor realized who's the real doctor. <laughs> he came to treat him. The Prophet ﷺ treated him. And that shows as well the Prophet ﷺ didn't take offense. Oftentimes we are, I mean, it's easy for us to get defensive. Someone, you know, confirms an accusation against you or they come and maybe innocently they come to approach you and they say they heard something about you and they want to double check. Straight away you become defensive. And I'm personally really guilty of this. Sometimes it's just, you really get defensive. So what happens when you are defensive, straight away you take, you, 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 you jump to the offense. You jump to the fence. You try to protect yourself. So you come across aggressive. You the Prophet ﷺ, he let him speak. And he let him speak. The Prophet ﷺ realized this man, the message that would resonate with him is just the message of Islam. Tell him, show him what Islam is. No need to say, oh, these people lied against me. What you heard is lie. No need. That's All of this is besides the point. So not about me or you. It's all about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So convey the message. Don't waste your time with all of these points that are really irrelevant. All of these will dissolve once the main issue has been dealt with. <clears throat> so here again we go with the uh, with what the Prophet ﷺ was doing, uh, approaching pilgrims, approaching uh, business people, business caravans, on offering them Islam, calling them to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, and asking who would help him, who would host him. That was the request of the Prophet who would host me and give me protection so I can convey the message because people of Quraysh, I don't feel safe in Quraysh anymore. So he was searching for a host. He didn't even just say, just believe, but he said, just host me and 
let me convey the message. He didn't ask them to believe. He just said, host me, that's it. He wants protection to be able to convey the message. So, <clears throat> and one day, some uh, group from, uh, from Al- from Al-Aus, from uh, Yathrib, which is Medina. A group from them came to Mecca because in Yathrib, in Medina, we had two main Arab tribes, Al-Aus and Al-Khazraj. Al-Aus were small in number. Al-Khazraj outnumbered them. Like, it's a bigger tribe. They were cousin tribes, but Al-Aus are smaller. The the Al-Khazraj are much more in number. There was a lot of feuds and wars against them, uh, um, between them. There was a lot of enmity. And they had constant, continuous wars. They would have like a treaty maybe for a couple of years, then they would start again, you know, get into a state of war and keep fighting. Some of their battles lasted for 40, 50 years. Some of them for 100 years. And the reason would be very insignificant. Very insignificant. Like one of the main... uh, long wars in Yathrib between Aus al-Khazraj actually the reason wa- for them was horse race a horse race and then the result of that was a war a continuous war for so many years that killed a lot of that, that wasted a lot of lives so one of the leaders his name was Abu al-Haysar Abu al-Haysar Anas ibn Rafi' he was their leader one of the leaders of Al-Aus he comes to Mecca with some of the young men, his young uh, like group. And among them, among these young ones, there was a guy called Iyas ibn Mu'adh. Iyas ibn Mu'adh. So they came, they were approaching Quraysh, and the reason they came to Quraysh was basically to seek help. So hopefully Quraysh would uh, join them, or they would give them support, they would become allies against the Khazraj, against the other tribe. Because as we said, they were outnumbered. They needed a lot of external allies to give them power, help them with weapons, and so on and so forth. And this was very common among the Arabs. So when the Prophet ﷺ heard there were people came from Medina and they were seeking help, the Prophet ﷺ thought, this is an opportunity to speak with them. Let me go and approach them. So he approached them and he sat with them and he said, I, I have something to offer you which is better than what you came seeking. فَقَالُوا لَهُ وَمَاذَا They said, what is this? The Prophet started speaking. He said, أَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ I am the Messenger of Allah. بَعَثَنِي إِلَى الْعِبَادِ Allah sent me to His servants, to His creation. أَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا يُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا He sent me to call people to worship Allah alone and not associate partners with Him. وَأَنزَلَ عَلَيَّ الْكِتَابِ and he revealed or sent down upon me the book. Then he talked to them about Islam, explained Islam to them. And he recited some Quran to them. Iyas ibn Mu'adh, one of the young men in that group, when he listened to the, when he heard all of this, he said, Ay qawmi. He said, Oh my people. Like it really resonated with him. Hada wallahi khayrun mimma lahu. He says, Oh my people, wallahi, this is better than what you than what you came seeking. It's better than the help of Quraysh. This is much better. This guy had an insight. He had an insight. But leadership being uh, you know, this kind of oppressive, tyrannical re- leadership, Abu al-Haysar or Anas ibn Rafi, their leader, when Anas ibn Rafi spoke, uh, or Iyas, sorry, Iyas ibn Mu'adh, when he spoke, Abu al-Haysar, he took some dust, some dirt, and he threw it on his face. Threw it on his, his face. And he said, Da'na mink. Like, get out of here. It's none of your business. Don't talk about that. We have come for something else. We didn't come to waste our time with this. So Iyas ibn Mu'adh, the young man, remained silent. He didn't reply. And the Prophet ﷺ left them. Then afterwards, soon after, there was a battle between Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj in Medina, in Yathrib. It was called Bu'ath, the day of Bu'ath. Very brutal day, bloody day. And Iyas ibn Mu'adh, Iyas ibn Mu'adh was injured in that battle. 
Yes, Ibn Mu'adh, the young man who said, this is actually better than our alliance with Quraysh. He was injured in the battle. And after the battle, when he was dying, his, when he was taking his last breath, now who's speaking? Someone from Medina, who was a child at that time. He was a child when Iyas ibn Mu'adh was taking his last breath. His name is Mahmoud ibn Labid. He says, and he mentions the people that were with Iyas. They, they, they were with him when he passed away. They said, uh, those who were with him, when he was dying, he kept saying, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah. So later on, the Muslims of Medina, later on, years later, they said, فَمَا كَانُوا يَشُكُّونَ أَنَّهُ قَدْ مَاتَ مُسْلِمًا They had no doubt, later on, people, that they figured out later on, oh, this guy actually was a Muslim. So he died as a Muslim. You see how Islam spreads in very unexpected ways? This man just saw the Prophet one one time. He figured out what the core of the message of the Prophet was, what his message was. Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. I'm the messenger of Allah. What did he learn about Islam? Nothing, just what the Prophet told them. Recited a little bit of Quran, told them about worshiping Allah. And obviously, probably, uh, these adhkar, La ilaha illallah, subhanallah, Allahu Akbar, alhamdulillah. That's everything he, this man practiced of Islam. So the Muslims in Medina later on, when they became Muslim, they accepted the message, the ones who knew this guy, Iyas ibn Mu'adh, they remembered, they said he must have been Muslim then. So they said the companions in Medina had no doubt that he died as a Muslim, subhanAllah. So sometimes it's just one encounter and the person is, uh, is a Muslim. Now the people of Quraysh <coughs> decided to use another tactic with the Prophet They said, okay, we are willing to listen to you more and maybe have more conversations with you, have more dialogue with you, but we have one condition. And this is a very, I would say, conniving approach. They said, but a lot of your followers are the weaker ones. So when we come to speak to you, you kick them out. We're not going to sit with these people. We're not going to sit with these people. What do you think that would lead to? That would put doubt in the hearts of the weaker Muslims. That if our leader feels shy, should we? he feels ashamed of us. Because these people want to meet us. Right? They want to meet the Prophet And there's no way to meet him and have dialogue with him unless he you know, pushes us on the side and we don't join. So they would actually start developing hard feelings. Even though they might not express it, but it would create some kind of a grudge. Some kind of a negative feeling. And the people of Quraysh, they knew what they were doing. Yet the Prophet ﷺ never did that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed him in the Quran, uh, So Allah is saying, and do not expel or do not you know, push away those who call upon their Lord in the morning and the evening and they seek Allah's face alone. It's not upon you to hold them accountable and it's not upon them to hold you accountable. And if you push them away, you will be from the wrongdoers. You'll be from the wrongdoers. Again, that resonates with what we started with. The ones who are receptive to the message, these are the people who deserve your attention, really. And they deserve your time, and they deserve your effort. So the Prophet ﷺ told these people of Quraysh, I'm not gonna, these are my companions. I'm not gonna ask them to leave when you guys come. I'm gonna have them. I'm gonna have them. Uh, people of Quraysh also asked for another uh, miracle. They said, okay. They said to the Prophet ﷺ, okay, we will actually believe. We will actually believe. And we will accept your message. This is what they said to him. They said, uh, they said, ud'u lana rabbaka an yaj'ala lana as-safa dhahaba. You know as-safa and al-marwa? Previously, now we don't we don't see them because they're part of the masjid. They were everything like the masjid was built on them. Now, but they were like a small mountain or a big hill. As-Safa was a big hill; it wasn't small. So they said, 
Call upon your Lord and let him turn this mount of Safa into gold, pure gold. We would believe in you. You just do this and we would believe in your message. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم The Prophet said you will believe like you really do They said yes we will do So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم makes dua He badly wants these people to accept Islam For their own sake So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم makes dua And he says uh, He asks Allah to turn the Safa The Mount of As-Safa into pure gold Jibreel comes to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم And if you want to know what Jibreel said to the Prophet we're going to share this next week. <laughs> inshallah. Okay. So next week, inshallah, still the halaqa will be after Maghrib. Uh, yes, will be after Maghrib. And then, inshallah, we'll talk next week, inshallah, as to how we're going to change it because the time will, the clock will go backwards. And by the way, next week, we're going to have the potluck. going to have the potluck. So I don't know if there's an arrangement. Is Awali around? I think there is an arrangement. So if Awali comes around, probably I'll share it after Isha. Uh, so potluck basically means you know, everyone brings some a little bit of food, whatever they have in their house. Something that reflects your culture, whatever it is. And as the brother said, don't all of you bring sweets because we don't want it to be a sweet party. It's so basically whatever food you can bring, inshallah, everyone brings a little bit and it would be available for every one of us to taste the different types of food inshallah I think that helps with the socialization so we're gonna have this every the first uh, Friday of every month the first Friday of every month inshallah so the first one will be is it gonna be next week next week yes next week will be uh, uh, November yeah so inshallah next week will be the first one and next week inshallah we will explain uh, or we will set the time for the new which is most likely when the time changes will be after Isha. Inshallah. Okay, we have time for a few questions. Do we have any questions? Any questions? Yes. Um, most likely, a lot of these verses that were revealed um, based on incidents like Al-Walid ibn Al-Mughira and others, they were revealed short, short, short after, like the incident. So, I don't have a specific text that says that these verses were revealed to that specific person, but I assume they heard. They heard them. Just like Abu uh, Lahab heard about uh, Surah Al-Masad. Uh, so, I'm assuming these people heard about these things. But they just ignored them altogether. They just ignored them. Yeah. But I don't have a specific narration that mentions that he heard about it. But definitely since they all were in Mecca and the Prophet ﷺ kept very active in his da'wah, these people must have heard about these things. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is a big question. These two uh, Arab tribes, why did they fight? It's just the same question, which is... <laughs> why the world still fights <laughs> until now people still fighting right so unfortunately it's shaitan that gets humans into killing one another it's shaitan although sometimes it's done in the name of religion but that's not that's just uh, another cover-up uh, unfortunately basically humans fight because of an ego arrogance pride and because uh, of lack of communication conflicts of interest conflict of interests and so on and so forth but unfortunately yes people have many reasons direct reasons to get a fight going subhanallah <laughs> that makes it easier to understand yes yeah questions So what was the name of the, uh, the young man from Medina, from Yathrib, who became Muslim? That's before the Prophet ﷺ even went to Medina. And he died before the Prophet ﷺ goes to Medina. But he died Muslim. What was his name? Anyone could remember his name? Yes. Iyas ibn Mu'adh. Iyas ibn Mu'adh. Yes, Iyas ibn Mu'adh. 
And since he met the Prophet ﷺ, we can say radiyallahu anhu. I'm not sure. Like. <laughs> there will be a fight over this candy. <laughs> we don't want a war here. Any more questions? Or shall we conclude? Jazakumullah khair. So inshallah the halaqa will be on next week. Some people come to me and they say, is the halaqa on today? Like people have this paranoia. 